the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There really has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. You know what's terrifying? The thought of someone kidnapping your child. It's very rare. You know what's more terrifying and more common? Seeing your child commit suicide. We're going to talk about this with Dr. Peter Gray when we come back. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Welcome to Sideline Sanity, everyone. Today's topic is kids. Uh, We see mental illness, you know, psychological struggles, stress that, that young people went through during that time. I have two teenagers, most of you know. This subject concerns me a great deal uh, for my kids and for all kids everywhere. It's just kids are dealing with enough. And welcome, Peter. And I love this notion. Why is play so important, even for kids who are, you know, maybe in high school? Yeah, well, you know, play is uh, really absolutely essential for children's uh, happiness, for their healthy development. Uh, play uh reduces mental problems mental psychological problems in two ways first of all it immediately makes children happier play is the source of happiness for children take away play and what do you get you get depression in children no surprise life without play is a depressing life for anybody and that would be especially true for children so we have over the decades uh, greatly reduced children's opportunities to truly play. Secondly, not only is play the immediate source of happiness for children, but it is also the means by which children develop the capacities to regulate their own lives, to deal with stresses, to be resilient, to learn that they can solve their own problems. We've become a world in which children are constantly being monitored, constantly being controlled, constantly being protected in some sense. Instead of a world where children can play and learn how to solve their own problems, learn that they can solve their own problems, and by doing so, reduce their fear of the world and reduce the chance that they will become devastated if something bad happens to them. Right. This is so important. You you, you touched on a number of things. First, I want to get back to what you said, that we've reduced the opportunities to play for children. Why have we done that? 
So this, this uh, is a phenomenon that has been occurring, this reduction in children's opportunities to play. And really, I should add children's opportunities to do anything independent of adult monitoring and control has been reduced over decades. This is not a new thing. This has been gradually occurring over decades, such that we many people have hardly noticed it. It's a huge change since the 1950s and 60s. But over any given 10 years, it's not such a big change that people think really the world is different than it was before. The um, We've done it for a number of reasons, and uh, it would take a, a good hour for me to describe them all, but let me say briefly that I think there's two categories of them. One is our obsession with schooling. School has become the be-all and end-all of children's lives. This is how we measure children these days. We've, we've taken away recess because we think that it's more important for them to drill for tests. We've increased the school day. Uh, there's research that shows that just over a 20-year period between 1981 and 2002, the average amount of time that children six to eight years old spend on schoolwork, counting at school and schoolwork at home, increased by 12 hours. Ooh. That's like adding a day and a half of an adult's work day to six to eight-year-olds, right? So we've uh, children didn't used to have homework in elementary school. I had no homework in elementary school back when I went to school long ago. And you turned uh, out great. I, well, I turned out okay. <laughs> I'd like to think I'm okay. <laughs> but uh, but the whole generation of us turned out okay. And and it's and so the point the point is that we have been gradually increasing children children's time in school, and not only the time in school, but the stress of school. All of this emphasis on testing, all of this emphasis on, you know, who can score highest on those stupid tests. Um, there's actually evidence that the children who are suffering most are those who are in the most high-pressured schools, the schools that many parents want to get their kids into because they're more likely to get them into some kind of an Ivy League college eventually. Or, or that. so, but but that the pressure of school, the time being taken. So that's that's one reason for the decline, uh, and a second reason is that we have as a nation become fearful. We've become fearful of things that shouldn't be frightening us as much as they are. We like strangers, right? So it was really in the 1980s that this term stranger danger came about. Uh, parents were being warned, don't allow your children out because there are these strangers out there who are going to snatch your child away or do something terrible to your child. You know, this crime, kind of crime from strangers, almost never had occurred. It, it occurred a few times. It occurred a few times. Everything happens a few times. People get stricken by lightning and so on and so forth. Everything gets happened. But this is an extraordinarily rare occurrence. And yet because whenever it did occur, it was so publicized and such a huge deal was made of it, that we developed the notion that you are an irresponsible parent if you allow your child out to play without you there monitoring. 
The problem with you there monitoring is, number one, you can't be out there all that much, not as much as your child wants to play. And secondly, no matter how great a parent you are, you are interfering with your child's play. Your child needs to learn to get along without you. Your child needs to learn to initiate activities, learns to be able to solve disputes with playmates, learns to know how to make friends without you. That's part of growing up. And when we deprive children of that, we get what we see today. Children who aren't able to solve their own problems, who aren't able, who don't believe they can solve their own problems, and that creates anxiety and depression. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, can I chime in with this question, too? Because some of the things that are being taught... In the school rooms, and I, listen, I know this from personal experience, and I've talked to a number of people, and we see it, and maybe it isn't as prolific as it's being portrayed. However, you talk about parents sort of helicoptering and, and trying to keep their kids safe. We have safe spaces on college campuses. We have people telling kids that they're oppressed and they're, that, that language is dangerous, that all kinds of things are harmful when they're really just obstacles that kids need to learn to overcome themselves. So in addition to diminishing the physical play, we need to protect you. And that really, really sticks in my craw. You know, there used to be a lot of research in psychology on what's called learned helplessness. There were animal studies and so on and so forth. When you put rats or any kind of animal into a, a situation, where things happen to them that they can't control. They learn that they can't control and they develop anxiety, they develop uh, ulcers, they develop all kinds of symptoms as a result of that. What I think we are doing currently is we are teaching children and teens that they are helpless. We're basically telling them, you're not capable of dealing with that bully down the street. You're not capable of uh, dealing with the uh, the anger and depression that comes when your best friend uh, breaks up with you or you have a romantic breakup. You're not capable of, uh, of dealing with your roommate calling you a name that you don't like, and so you've got to go to a therapist. <laughs> uh, that's basically teaching people you can't solve your own problems. You've got to depend on some experts, some authority figure, and I do not believe this is healthy. I think this is a big part of the problem that we are seeing, a big part of why we are seeing such high levels of anxiety and depression, not only in children, but in young adults. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, we can't just limit it to kids because the kids eventually grow up. And, and I, to see these parents or even kids on a college campus saying, I don't feel safe around such and so person because their language is harmful. That to me is, is, is nuts. You go on to, to write this other blog, why parents should do less for their kids. And this is kind of, this is all related. I think, you know, it's, it's something that is challenging. I know parents love their kids. They want only good things for their kids. But as we, as parents know from having gone through our own lives, life ain't always going to be easy. There are going to be challenges and we want, we should want to build strong kids that can be independent and overcome those obstacles by themselves. I mean, that to me, you're preparing humans. You're not just having little babies. These are ultimately going to be humans. They're beautiful. They're darling, but they do need to be helped less. What do you suggest? How can parents start sort of, you know, detaching themselves a little bit more? I think the first thing for, for parents to recognize, and it's obvious when you hear it, is that the whole purpose of childhood is to grow up. <laughs> the purpose of childhood is to learn how to do things for yourself so that ultimately you can be independent of adults to the degree that any of us become. We're all dependent in some ways. Right. We all depend upon one another. But to the degree that we adults have to take charge of our own lives, that has to develop gradually. You can't just say suddenly now you're 21 years old <laughs> and now you're in charge of your life, right? You've got to grant that has to be more gradual. You have to learn to take charge of your life. Even three and four year olds can take charge of their life in certain ways. By the time you're seven or eight, there's more ways you can take charge of your life. By the time you're 12 and 13, still more. By the time you're 18, you ought to be pretty much fully in charge of your life, right? So this is, uh, this is what parents have to recognize, but this ha you have to allow your children to do things that are a little bit dangerous, that involve responsibility, or they're never going to learn how to be responsible. I, I want to point out, I, I think a lot of young parents don't even realize how far we've moved from a normal childhood. Um, and uh, this is going to sound like an old person talking <laughs> about, uh, about his childhood and, and it is, <laughs> but the, uh, but, but, but honestly, let's, let's speak realistically about this. Your childhood wasn't that long ago. I mean, right. it's, it's occurring to me now how fast time passes. Right. And so, so I, I, I honor and respect what you're about to tell us, and I hope my listeners do too. Yeah. Go ahead. So what I'm talking about really is not just childhood for me, you know, uh, 50, 60 years ago. It is not just childhood in America at that time. This is normal childhood throughout time and throughout the world. But I'll, I'll put it in the context of my childhood. So by the time I was five years old, I could ride a bicycle anywhere in town. Uh, if I went with my friend who was six years old, Ruby Lou, <laughs> I could go anywhere. I couldn't go quite so far if I went by myself. <laughs> I could, uh, by the time I was 10, I had a paper route. Nobody went with me on the paper route. I delivered papers. By the time I was 12, this was very, around the time, this is a long time ago when Social Security first became, I look back at my Social Security, I was paying into Social Security when I was 12. 
because I had a job as a delivery boy. We lived in Duluth, Minnesota then, an after-school job as a delivery boy at 12. That was the world that I grew up in, and that was, and, and why could I do all those things? It was partly because kids at that time had lots of time to play and explore. We developed confidence. We learned how to move around. We learned how to tell what people might be kind of creepy and stay away from them. <laughs> you know, we learned how to, uh, we learned how to manage bullies. We learned how to do what you need to do in order to get along in this world. And so we were capable of, um, of a good deal of independent responsibility and, and taking what would appear to be risks, although in truth they're not very big risks, um, uh, that children are not being allowed to do today. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 let's go to break on this note because you have a, some roots in Minnesota, which I didn't know until you just said that. And I am planted here in Minnesota. Uh-huh. There was a case, the Jacob Wetterling, uh, case where Jacob Wetterling was abducted, never seen again. It's every parent's worst nightmare. How that impacted how we all look at our kids and stranger danger. We'll discuss that, uh, with Dr. Peter Gray right after this. Oh, I know we're supposed to be celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act. There is no celebrating. They were on the lawn of the White House throwing a big party while the stock market was dropping into, you know, like 1,200, 1,300 points. It's amazing to me how we are sort of being conditioned to think that $4 a gallon for gas is is okay because it's no longer $5 a gallon or that inflation at around 8% is that's okay. No, these things aren't okay. This is not a time to be celebrating an Inflation Reduction Act that is doing no such thing. So we've got inflation, we've got a war, we've got gas prices, we've got so much that the markets, as you saw, are going nuts. So how about a long-term play that is safer, that that guards against inflation and a weakening dollar? That would be precious metals. And whenever I buy gold and silver, the only company I trust is Legacy Precious Metals. You can find them at LegacyPMInvestments.com. Remember 2008? People who invested in gold that year saw huge gains and others lost their retirements. We're in that kind of territory right now in the financial markets in the world. So find out how gold and silver can help you in the short term, in the long term. Just call Legacy Precious Metals. Speak to an IRA expert. They will answer all of your questions. 866 828-1903, 866-528-1903. Give them a call. Tell them I sent you. Ask all your questions or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. You want to do this sooner than later. LegacyPMInvestments.com. We're back with Peter Gray, Ph.D., writes a wonderful blog for psychology today about freedom to learn and the ways that we should be letting go more of our child and children and letting them find their independence and their resilience. Uh, Peter, I mentioned the Jacob Wetterling case, three little boys out. Parents are not around. One of them is abducted Jacob and we never see him again. And ultimately they they find out, and it's only been recent that they found out what happened to him. And it is a most terrifying 
topic for any parent to try to get his or her head around, right? And so that fear is so overwhelming that we let it trickle into how we raise our kids, even though I think the chance of a child being abducted, like you mentioned earlier, might be about the same as getting hit by lightning. But it, it's just so traumatic to even think about that happening to your child. How do we balance those two realities? One, that, yeah, there's danger in the world. But two, it, is it really worth shutting our kids indoors? Yeah, you're certainly right to point to that case, and there was another somewhat similar case in the 1980s um, that, uh, of course, made headlines everywhere that led to movements. Of course, the parents, um, in order to, uh, you know, in order to deal with this, wanted to make a national movement of protecting children. You can completely understand that, totally understanding of it. I remember in the 1980s, after those couple of instances occurred, we began to hear on the radio and, and television announcement, public service announcements, do you know where your child is right now, as if you are a negligent parent, if you don't. That was, uh, that was in some sense, the tipping point. I mean, this was a gradual change, but this speeded up that change of protection of children. The point that needs to be understood is that the, as you pointed out, uh, these instances are extremely rare. Uh, it's not that rare for children to be snatched away. It's not that rare for children, unfortunately, to be molested. It's not that rare, but it's not strangers on the street doing it. <laughs> it's that priest. It's that teacher. It's that uncle. It's that. And when kids are snatched away, it's most often a relative, an ex-spouse, so somebody who believes that you are abusing your children and they're protecting their children by taking away. There were also in the 1980s, I remember, um, milk cartons had pictures of missing children. So you would be eating your breakfast cereal in the morning and you'd be looking at this sweet little girl who's been presumably snatched away, maybe murdered. You don't know what happens and you think, oh my God, I've got to hold on real tight to my little girl or my little boy. Somebody did a study um, looking kind of retroactively at what actually happened to all those milk carton children and most of them were runaways. Uh, those who were snatched away were snatched away by relatives. I don't think they found a single case of any of them who was actually snatched away by a stranger. So, but we developed this kind, this belief of stranger danger, which is actually, a, you know, that's a terrible thing to have. I mean, if you're a kid out in the street and something happens, you've got to rely on the kindness of strangers, right? You can't assume that every stranger is out to murder you or do something terrible to you. So, so the, so that's, but, so I, here's what I think that we need to understand. Everything is dangerous to some degree. Get up in the, if you get up in the morning, it's dangerous. If you stay in bed, it's dangerous. If your kid walks to school, it's dangerous. If you drive your kid to school, that's more dangerous. <laughs> here's a, you, the, the image you described, I agree, it's an absolutely terrible image. Let me describe another terrible image. Your child commits suicide. What a terrible image that is. I suicides among school-aged children are far more common than 
being snatched away. Suicides are more common than any kind of murder of children. <laughs> Suicides for children under the age of 15 are now the second leading cause of death for children. That's an image parents should have in mind. How do we prevent suicides? We make sure that our children are playing. We make sure that they're having fun. We make sure that they're not overly stressed by school. We make sure that we provide them with an environment in which they can become empowered, in which they can learn that they're competent, in which they can learn that that stupid grade on a test is not the end all or be all of life. Uh, I, I'm fighting a little tear right now um, because I was reading about that last night, reading your blog. This morning, my son has a temperature. He's in high school. And we were talking about, well, you know, it's 99. Is that enough to keep him home? And, you know, back and forth. And, and I went in to see him and he said, Mom, I'm not faking this. And I said, I know. And he said, I feel like you really want me to go to school and that you think I'm trying to get out of school. And I realized, and I was just on the heels of reading everything you said about school and the stress of school. And I looked at him and I said, you're a whole human being, kid. I care about your mental health. I care about your physical health. If you feel like you need to stay home and, and we'll keep up with the work somehow. And, you know, you're willing to risk that you might not be able to play football this Friday night. Then yes, let's get you better. But I, I started to think about it and I was really trying to look at him and make sure he knew that I understood that there's a whole human there. Uh, and it's not just a student. And I think we really need, that takes some reminding on our part, doesn't it? It's not just it because we have become entrenched in this society of productivity and grades and the next level and the next, because you want them to be productive, but then they need to feel a whole human to be productive, not just a, a, an automaton student. I think that's right, and um, I'm actually, I just wrote a blog post, which I haven't posted yet, on um, how we adults are continuously imposing competitive situations on children. Children are not naturally competitive. Children, when they play, they play cooperatively. This is verified by lots of research, not just mine. The most important thing for us to learn is how to cooperate, how to get along well with other people, how to please our playmates, including playmates who are on the other team if we're playing a team sport. But when we put children in school, when we put children in adult-directed sports, instead of letting them just go out and play in their own way, we're putting them into a competitive situation where they're constantly being judged and evaluated. Do I get the trophy or not? Do, I, do we win or lose? Did I let down the whole team by that play that I made? This is stressful. So even recreation, when we put adults in charge of it and it becomes for trophies and championships and all of that, even recreation becomes stressful. And if you don't make the team, then you're out of it. And you may start off, little kids start off playing sports directed by adults, but at some point they don't make the team anymore or they constantly lose and then they're off and then they're not playing at all because the whole thing has been spoiled for them. What we need is to get back to a world, we need to find a world in our time 
where children can play without being adult directed, with, without having to put them in these kinds of um, adult directed situations. They get too much of that in school. Outside of school, they should be in charge of their own lives. Hurricane Fiona has pummeled the Caribbean with devastating winds, catastrophic flooding, and widespread power outages. Food for the Poor has been serving the poorest nations in that part of the world for more than 40 years, and they're responding again now during this time of crisis. Hurricane relief kits containing food, water, hygiene kits, medical supplies, and other critically needed items are already being distributed throughout Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, and Haiti. You can support this effort by giving your best gift now. Just text SIDELINE to 91999 and we'll send you a link to give. Families have lost everything and need our help. Anything you can do will help Food for the Poor bring aid to these families. Just text SIDELINE to 91999 and we'll send a link so you can give. As one of the largest faith-based international relief agencies in the United States, Food for the Poor is able to respond quickly and efficiently to disasters like this, but they can't do it without your generous support. Please give what you can now. Text SIDELINE to 91999. All right, I do want to question the one thing about competitiveness, however, because there is such a thing called sibling rivalry. I was the youngest of four. I know it very well. And my two kids, I have a boy and a girl. They don't compete at any of the same sports. They're totally different kids. They're still competitive. And, you know, even when there is not... The, the, the t-ball games, or excuse me, the wiffle ball games that happen in my front yard every day for summers and summers on end with all the neighborhood boys that involved no parents, they were competitive, Peter. They, you know, they wanted to beat each other. So there, some of that is nature, right? So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say that children never play competitively, but I've done a lot of research on children and also there's, um, uh, I've interviewed anthropologists who study children in other cultures, including non-competitive cultures, hunter-gatherer cultures, where adults do not have competitive games, where uh, to, to beat somebody is actually regarded as rude, <laughs> to try to show yourself in any way as better than somebody else. In those cultures, and the, and the anthropologists tell me one after another that the children do not play competitively in those cultures. And the reason they don't is because there's no parents pushing them to be competitive. They're not, they don't have a model of competition. We are, in our culture, surrounded by models of competition. It's all about who wins, who loses. And so it's no surprise that to some degree, children do play competitively but they don't play competitively when they're playing amongst themselves nearly as much as they do when adults are involved or in charge. And this is especially true in old-fashioned neighborhood play, which was age mix. There's no point in being competitive if you're playing across big ages. You've got to find ways that everybody's having fun. Uh, so also, I do, I already in this blog post, as you'll see when it gets posted, uh, I already mentioned the issue, the exception of sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry, I think, is a real thing. <laughs> I think to, it occurs at certain stages in life. It doesn't occur in every family, but it occurs in some. And I do think there's something about competitiveness. There's also a difference between siblings and between friends. You don't have to earn your siblings. 
they're just there. <laughs> so you can beat them. <laughs> you can, they're not going to go away. <laughs> your friends, your friends, if you continuously beat your friends in that game of wiffle ball, and it's truly a game, you're not, and you're, you consistently beat them. If you're evenly matched, then okay, you know, one wins, then wins, it's all in good nature and so on. But if you consistently beat a friend in wiffle ball, that friend is not going to play wiffle ball with you anymore. It's no fun. The only, the only way you can play wiffle ball is by finding some way for the better player to self-handicap. And that's what kids naturally do when they're playing with other kids. They figure some way, let's make it even, let's make it fun, I'll play with, just my left hand or so on and so forth. And that's the way kids, that's the way kids um, work it out. So that everybody, the, the primary goal when kids are playing is to have fun because here's the thing about play. In play, the, the primary freedom is freedom to quit. That's the fundamental freedom in play. If you're not free to quit, it's not play. So if you and I are playing a game and I am bullying you in some way or I want it all my way or I'm winning every single move, you as a self-respecting child will quit. <laughs> you will say, I hear my mom calling me, I'm going home now. So I have learned a lesson. Next time, I better be more concerned with your needs than I was before. That is the most important lesson that human beings have to learn. If you cannot learn that lesson, you can't have a good marriage. You can't have real friends. You can't have good work partners. You can't have a happy life. That is not learned when adults take charge and solve the problems. That is learned when children play and, and have to learn on their own how to keep their playmates happy in order to keep them playing. That is fascinating. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's, it's conjuring up some memories too <laughs> of when either I quit or someone quit because I wasn't being a very good playmate. This is so interesting. I, I There's another topic I want to tackle with you before we wrap up here. And that is not only are we shrinking the amount of time kids play, I think we're shrinking the the space in which they play. For example, there have been apparatus, I don't know what the plural of that is, apparatuses, apparati, I don't know, on playgrounds that have been deemed, you know, you can't go on those monkey bars anymore because so-and-so fell and cut his knee open, and so we're not letting you on those monkey bars anymore. You can no longer jump off the swings. I know you're jumping into a nice pit of sand or whatever, but no, no, no jumping off the swings anymore. Is this detrimental or is this common sense? It is definitely detrimental in my opinion. Um, you know, all young mammals that have been studied play in risky ways. They not only play, but they play in risky ways. They do things that are deliberately a little bit dangerous. So, for example, young chimpanzees have been observed to climb up to the top of a tree and then drop and catch themselves just before they hit the ground. Monkeys will chase themselves around playing basically tag high enough up in a tree that if they fell, they would hurt themselves. They probably wouldn't kill themselves, but they'd hurt themselves. Uh, goat kids skip along the cliffs. They do. Why do they play in these risky ways? 
the answer to this is not difficult to understand once you hear it. The, a very important characteristic to develop is courage. We all need to develop courage to live good lives. Bad things, frightening things, emergencies are going to happen to all of us at some point. If we haven't practiced doing things that are a little bit dangerous, if we haven't practiced doing things that generate a little bit of fear and learned, I can handle that, I can do that, I can climb that high in the tree and I can come down and tell the tale or I can go on that really tall slide, right? I can even walk up the slide, I can do all these things. The person who does that is a more confident person than the person who has been protected from doing that. And when that person suffers, you know, later in life, an emergency happens, that person may be able to save their child or save themselves because they know they can handle a little bit of fear. When we protect children from things that are a little bit fearful, a little bit dangerous, we are preventing them from developing courage. Uh, it's so important. And thank you for that answer. It's, I, I honestly, I, I didn't expect that word courage, but it's, it makes all the sense in the world. It is hugely important. I'm a massive proponent of developing courage at an early age. And I am so glad we had this opportunity to hear it from you. Again, his blog is called Freedom to Learn and it's at Psychology Today. You can go to the website and follow him and I highly recommend it. It's, they're just simple little reminders about how to create an environment for your kids, create a, a, an atmosphere for your kids to grow, learn, become courageous, and and be able to be productive citizens who are resilient. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. It has been an absolute pleasure. I hope to have you on again. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure for me, too. Uh, this is Michelle Tafoya. I'm still so important. Uh, this has been Sideline Sanity. Be brave, do good, and check out Freedom to Learn, uh, Peter Gray's blog on psychologytoday.com. Well, Sideline Sanity, we are very proud to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals, and we're joined by Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. Charles, we are hearing now that this is not transitional inflation. This is not a bump in the road. This inflation is going to be here a while. What, what, does, that, what does that tell you? You know, that's the scary thing. Um, I think, you know, economies and, and, and such like that, they can deal with small jars. We have a unique situation. We had a Fed that waited much too long to react to the situation calling inflation transitory for a year when everyone knew it wasn't. But more importantly than that, coming out now saying, this is going to be here. This is long-term. This is not short-term. We're going to have elevated rates for the long-term. And, and why that gets really scary is that means the cost of doing business is going to be elevated for years, which means the cost of goods are going to be elevated for years, which means if companies can't make enough money, they will go out of business. This is why we, we hear some of your bigger companies are already talking about layoffs. So it, it's a unique situation. The Fed found themselves in a very bad place and they reacted way too slow. And this is why we're at where we're at. So if I'm an investor, then 
what's why do I want gold and silver in my portfolio? What what will that do for me? You know, that that's a great question. And that's a question we get a lot. And and really what gold and silver do, um, they act as the hedge against the dollar weakness. They act as a hedge against the other markets. And we know that the Dow and, and all of your markets, all your indices are, are, are pulling back, right? That's not the issue. It's not what's already happened. It's what's yet to come. And that's where we, we need to prepare. So depending on who you listen to and, and the research that you do, you know, there are case studies of saying expect to see another 25, 20 to 25% pullback in your equities markets based on interest rates and loans and, and the bond markets they're suffering as well. No one's going out to buy bonds knowing that they're going to be um, an increased return on them in three months. It makes no sense. So that leaves you in a position of what to do with your money and how to protect yourself. This is where gold and silver come in. This is why we say this is a long-term play. You buy it, you forget about it, let it do its, its job. And its job is to go up over time as the dollar gets weaker as the purchasing power gets less, gold and silver increase. It protects that purchasing power. And that's the great thing about it. And there's your bottom line and why you need to call Legacy Precious Metals or go download their investor's guide at LegacyPreciousMetals.com. Charles, it's always good to talk to you because these are nerve-wracking times for people. You know, it, it's just the fact of the matter is, as we were told by the, the Fed chair, there's going to be some pain. So if people know that they've got something solid sitting in their investment portfolio, I think they're going to feel a little bit better, right? Absolutely. And we, you know, when we look at the actions that have happened just recently, I mean, the Fed has taken a very unique stance and they've done something very um, extraordinary. Three quarters of a basis points raises months in a row. That's one of the largest raises you've ever seen in the Fed through the history of the Fed. And it's not just once. One time is shocking. Here we are on the third month now, and we'll probably do another half a, half a basis point next month or, or later this month, possibly even three quarters of a point. So when you look at that and you say that number is going to grow to where the Fed interest rates will be about 5%, unheard of. That means the interest rate to you and I, if that's what banks to borrow money, we're going to see, you know, credit cards will probably be over 28, 30% again. You're going to see home loans coming in 9, 10, possibly even 11%. And it's, it's a scary time. And this is why we say, okay, know this coming. Don't be afraid. You, you now are aware. So now you can protect yourself. And that's what we help people do. Don't be afraid. Prepare. Just prepare yourself. And like I say every day, I trust Legacy Precious Metals when it comes to investing in gold and silver. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles and his group can answer any and all of your questions. Charles, thank you so much. My pleasure as always. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.